Hello, I'm Sally McNally, the Irish midwife. And I'm Bridget, Sally's daughter. Welcome back to the Bleeding Truth podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We're so happy uh, that Sarah McNell has agreed to come and talk to us. Yay! Thank you, Sarah. Sarah is uh, has got her own practice in Massachusetts, um, a home birth practice, and it's called Embrace Midwifery. And uh, we'd like her to tell us all about home births. And uh, some of you ladies listening to this are trying to decide should I have a home birth, should I have a hospital birth. Hopefully this is going to help you uh, feel confident in your choice. So welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hi. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so great to meet you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so nice to see you again. Um, I met Sarah uh, in a cold winter, uh, we travelled from our own homes to, um, where was that? It was in... <laughs> it's Booth Bay, Maine. Yeah, Maine. A beautiful little town. Um, and this wonderful uh, midwife was teaching us how to do first assist. Mm -hmm. uh, first assist for cesarean sections. Mm -hmm. um, and the skills that she taught us, Sarah, I've used them many times. I'm the first assist with the doctor that I work with. And I mm -hmm. love it. I really enjoy it. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not first assisting with C-sections right now. But at the time, I was working... Um, I was a new midwife for a family practice. Yeah. And so we had a small... We, you know, we did a small part of the deliveries at the hospital, um, but nobody in that practice did the C-section. So yeah. if one of our clients needed a C-section, whether it was scheduled or just turned out that way in labor, we would first assist the OBs in, uh -huh. from the main group from the hospital. And it wow. was just a way for our our patients to feel like we were still part of right. the process of their birth. Um, so I took the class to learn how to first assist, um, which I was very interested in. It wasn't something that I ever really thought I would do as a midwife when I first yeah. went to school. Um, and it, it wasn't really my passion, but I've always loved, I had worked as a, a labor and delivery nurse and I was a scrub nurse and I liked being in the OR and seeing all the anatomy and the technical stuff. Like there's, to me, there's no other better way to really appreciate to, the yes. woman's anatomy when you yeah. actually see like the ovaries yeah. and the uterine tubes and you're like, wow, <laughs> this is where right. life yeah. starts yeah. and happens like yes. it's just really neat so I was it's, very it's like excited. gazing into like a sacred yeah. space isn't it yeah <laughs> it is I love it the is and I um when I took that course it was wonderful and the midwife that taught it was very knowledgeable and had all that wisdom and yeah. even though I don't use that skill I still remember some yeah. of that um right. now just yeah, yeah, I remember Nell explaining to us how she kind of paved the way for midwifery in her community and made a name for herself and became really respected, yes. um, both as a midwife and as a first assist. Yeah. And I just, you know, listening to that wisdom is great. So even though I don't use the skills, I learned a lot from her that right. I carry with me. Right. 
And we had that magical night. I don't know if you remember, Sally, where we went. (laughs) And there were food trucks. And it was part of like a a light festival they were having at a garden. Mm -hmm. It was like on the road, but it was snowing and we were getting food from food trucks. And then we sat around a bonfire and it was like so magical. Yes. Yeah. The best company for us is to be with a group of midwives. Is yes. it midwives and doulas? That's my favorite company ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And to be yeah. around a bonfire. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. That sounds really cool. <laughs> but where we were, it, it was such a nice place to meet too, because it was um, at this old house and it was just, she, she used it just to live in, of course, but also to to teach us and she had these rooms with all of the instruments and she had this apron that had many layers and the, mm-hmm. each layer represented a layer of your body and I go all yeah. the way in and on the inside there was a little baby so we got to mm-hmm. practice with this apron I really enjoyed that yeah. that's cool yeah. it was like um like nowadays I know they have the electronic models of uh, people that you know you can practice hands-on techniques um but her way of teaching really stuck with me but I'm I'm glad we met there Sarah because that helped us to lead to today yeah yeah exactly and I'm (laughs) oh sorry go for for it no it's okay no go ahead (laughs) I was gonna ask because I know Sarah you you specialize like home births now yeah Mm -hmm. so how did you end up in that direction so Let's see. Home birth kind of brings me back to why I'm even a midwife. So um, I became a nurse. I was really young. I did an associate's degree program. Um, and I I had worked as a nurse's aide in a very intense rehab hospital. So people rehabilitating from like a broken hip to brain injury to like, you know, major pneumonias and stuff like that. Um And I worked there um, through nursing school as a nurse's aide and then one year as a nurse. And then I moved over to the medical ICU um, at UMass Memorial, which is the biggest university hospital that we have here in central Massachusetts. So um, central Massachusetts is Worcester's the biggest city. And I live just outside of it, like five minutes from the city line. And so the big hospital there that has the highest level um, NICU and ICUs in all of central Massachusetts, I worked there in their ICUs. Um, And I really had no interest in maternity. When I went through nursing school, I was young. I was like 20. My maternity instructor, which this is kind of mean, but she called me the child nurse. Um, (laughs) And I was like, just give me a grumpy old man. I (laughs) don't really want to work with women (laughs) and deal with hormonal, Mm. you know, women and emotions and all that. And I was like, totally not interested in it initially. But I was an ICU nurse and, um, in a medical ICU, and it was not a very fulfilling job. It, very sick people, um, a lot of people with end stage, like kidney disease, liver disease. Some of them have been self abusers for many years, um, and it was really sad. And I was like, I, I can't do this the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, 
in the meantime, I had two children um, at a hospital, not the hospital I worked at, but another hospital in the city. Um, And I had, in my quest to have a natural birth, I had kind of met a community of people. So the woman that taught my childbirth ed class at the hospital um, was great. And she did a lot of promoting, like, if you want to have a low interventive, and I say natural birth, but I really just mean like unmedicated birth in the hospital. Um, You know, these are the, the tips and tricks to help you accomplish that. And honestly, my biggest inspiration was my mom. She had had five kids without taking any pain medication and she had delivered all her babies on a, on an air force base or a medical base or a military base. So she, um, you know, in that kind of situation, you don't get to choose your doctor really. Um, there's a big turnover, so there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of continuity and she just went in and had her babies. And I was like, well, she can do it. I can do it. So, and I'm, I'm kind of stubborn. So I just, (laughs) I just did it. But when I had my second baby at the hospital, um, I had a lot of back labor. She must've been in that funny sunny side up position, or we call it occiput posterior. Um, and so we were walking around the hospital quite a bit. Um, even after they admitted me, they let me go out and walk in the atrium, Um, And I wanted to move. I did not want to be in bed on the monitors. Um, So I had moved around a lot. And the nurse was sort of surprised. Every time she came in the room, I would still be on the monitors, but I'd be standing next to the bed or sitting on the yoga ball or something. Um, I brought in my own big yoga ball so I could have it. And yeah, the doctor came to see me and I was seven centimeters. Then they broke my water and the doctor went to walk down the hall and I, I had flipped on the hands and knees because my back was hurting and the baby must have just turned yeah, and all of a sudden lovely. she was right there. Wow. And so the nurse, the nurse turned me over to check me and she didn't even really check my cervix because she could just see the baby was coming and the doctor made it just in time to just put regular gloves on and catch the baby. Wow. And then my memory of that is I got like one little stitch. And then they were gone and Mm -hmm. I took a shower an hour later and I was like, I don't even know why I'm here because they didn't really do that much. (laughs) I'm the one who did all the work. And um, so I got pregnant with my third. And at that point, I was a critical care float in the hospital. So I was floating all the ICUs and the PDICU and the ER. Um, And I had found out I was pregnant with my third baby. And I was like, I just, I don't know that I need to go to the hospital. The hospital is a place where there's lots of sick people. And when I'm pregnant, like I'm not sick, I'm just experiencing a normal path of life. So I did some research and I started looking for a home birth midwife in my area. And the woman who had taught my childbirth ed class, um, her name is Alexis, she came up as like a local home birth midwife. And I didn't realize in that time that I had had two kids. Mm -hmm. Um, She had become a midwife and she was still doing the end of an apprenticeship. So I called her and no, I emailed her and she immediately remembered me from the class. And she was very, um, 
she was like, yeah, let's meet up and talk about a home birth. So I met with her. And Isn't it lovely, I, that kind of connection that she yeah. could remember you and that you had already gone through the childbirth. I love that. Childbirth yeah. Birth. And it was. And you learned it, to trust her. Right. Exactly. Because a lot of the things she taught me in that class, like just resonated in my mind. Like I would think about them and, and I remember her saying like, if you walk in and, you know, they put you on the monitor and they keep you in in the bed Mm -hmm. and you never get out, then you're like just stuck in that position. So move as much as you can and labor Mm -hmm. ask to come off the monitor, you know, and I remember that and really utilize that um, to achieve having an unmedicated birth in the hospital. So anyways, we met, she came over and she recognized my husband right away, (laughs) which was good for him because I think when a lot of women start thinking about having a home birth, their partners are often like, oh, wow. Like, what, this is crazy. Are we really going to do this? <laughs> so um, we met with her and thought it and talked a lot about it. And I was about 34 weeks or so when we decided um, to do a home birth, maybe 32. Um, and so I kept seeing my OB for a little bit while I saw my home birth midwife, but then at 36 weeks, we made the ultimate decision that I was going to switch over just to midwifery care. And so um, we did that. And I had my first home birth, which was great. Um, I sort of, I was so excited about it. I invited everyone, which is kind of a big (laughs) no-no. I had my mom, my two sisters, a good friend of mine, three midwives, And then my younger two children were downstairs with my dad and my husband was there. So it was a very um, busy household. And therefore, it was my longest labor because sometimes when you have a house full of people, it really, um, I don't know, can almost distract you from what your body's trying to do. When feel like you're supposed to perform and... Your brain is like, I'm not giving you Pitocin until all those people leave. (laughs) Or oxytocin. I'm not giving you oxytocin. Right. Right. And, um, you know, everyone came around 9 p.m. And I had been having regular contractions, but they weren't all that close yet um, earlier in the evening. So when everyone got there, things kind of started to fizzle. Not a whole lot happened overnight, but everyone stayed. And then in the morning... It was like a sleepover. Um, (laughs) I know. So the next morning, the midwives, you know, they did a full assessment, felt my belly to see what position they thought the baby was in. I think they probably did a cervical exam. I can't remember. I think I was three to four centimeters Um, and nice and soft and stretchy, but just no regular uterine contraction patterns. So they um, had a my chiropractor come to my house for an adjustment and funny enough his his wife was having a home birth with them so they did a prenatal on his wife back in my office and he adjusted me um in my living room and part of that was to adjust my hips to allow the baby to turn they thought her head was like transverse um and like staring directly at one hip. Mm 
So they did that adjustment. Um, and I ate some good foods and the midwives left for a little bit because you yeah, I'm sure they wanted to take a nap too. Yeah. And they wanted me to just kind of do my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband and I actually decided to, so it was nine degrees outside. Mm-hmm. So normally walking is like a great thing to kind of do in labor if you have the energy for it and yeah. um, to kind of get your labor going. But it was so bitterly cold out. Mm-hmm. We actually went to the mall and we walked the mall. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so um, I did the stairs yeah. and you know, we did a couple loops for about an hour. And then on the drive home, my contractions picked up and I walked through my house like a tunnel. I didn't want to interact with too many people. I went straight up to my room, sat on the yoga ball, and it was just my mom and my husband, which my mom, they had both been there. They were my team for all my births. Um, and so we hung out and then my water broke and the midwives came back and you know, it was still different. I, I let yeah. everyone filter back into my birthing space, yeah. but they were quiet and respectful and the kids were quiet downstairs. And, you know, I never, with her, I never felt a really strong urge to push, which is so different than all yeah. my other babies, but it was like 9 PM and they had checked me and I was like, nine and a half centimeters. So they said, you know, when you want to push, you can push. And I started feeling like a little pressure. And I pretty much was like, Sarah, you have to crawl up on the bed and push this baby out so everyone can go sleep. (laughs) And that's what I did. She was born at like 945. And um, I think the sweetest part about home birth is like, after the baby is born, having that real intimate time, everyone can meet the baby in your home, in your own space. And people bring you like real food and not hospital food. Um, The midwives come back and check on you. And I loved that aspect of it. So anyways, after I had her, I like, it was like I was bitten by the birth bug. I wanted to work in some way in birth. I really wanted to be a home birth midwife. Um, I looked at doing the same track that my home birth midwives had done. And they actually discouraged me from doing it because they were like, you're a nurse. Go back to school and become a nurse midwife. So it's a little bit different. Traditional midwives don't have a degree and um, depending on the state you live in, they are not regulated by um, like a board, a licensing board. At least that's how it is in Massachusetts. Um, we don't have a board for CPMs. So they they were like, you already, you're halfway there. You've already done the nursing school thing. But I had to do a gap year before I started a master's program. So at the time I had three little kids four and a half and under. So my husband was like, not yet. So I took a doula training when my third baby was about a year old. And um, that kind of like pushed me into getting to know providers in the the out of hospital world. Um, Because some of our local midwives were attending that doula training or helping host it. So I met them. And then I took spinning babies. I did a spinning babies conference like six months after that. And I met even more home birth midwives. And um, I was like, I really want to be a midwife. And I, 
I did about 20 doula births or so um, in, in those like two to three years. And I didn't do a whole lot because I had little kids and I was still working as a nurse overnight. Um, but I really enjoyed doing doula births and I got to see labor and delivery nurses in action. And I was like, oh, maybe I could be a labor and delivery nurse. I really hadn't considered it. But being an ICU nurse and then switching over um, to being a labor and delivery nurse, it seemed easier once I had met some really great labor and delivery nurses. Right. What is, um, maybe this is a question for both of you guys. What is like doula versus home birth in that sense? Well, a doula is a wonderful yeah. woman usually, though I've uh, heard of a couple of guys getting interested in the work too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a work where um, they they come to provide comfort to a woman mm. in labor um, and support, comfort and support. And they bring all sorts of great ideas with food, with, uh, you know, distraction techniques, breathing techniques, touch techniques. And they're really quite magical doulas. They're ma- magical women. <laughs> yeah. I know some great I, ones. I have some great I'd like friends. to think. I like to think of them as like the backstage support, you know, they're like, yeah. And even for partners too, I think a doula is like a gift for your partner, unless there's someone that's really comfortable with birth or has been to a lot of births and was really involved, but there's, they're the person that can remind your partner, like, you know, this is, this touch might feel nice. Let's, you could try this, um, mm. reminding the partner to eat and drink, um, take good pictures. So they're for, they're there for <laughs> physical, spiritual, and emotional support. Um, so there's a, a midwife for every woman, you know, they're all, everyone mm. has a different personality and a different background. Um, now labor they don't... delivery nurses are like that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they have all of those gifts to bring, um, but also they then have the extra training of checking the cervix, the fetal monitoring, mm, okay. the neonatal resuscitation. There's like a lot of stuff to right. add on. But the more of this that we get around the woman, the better, you know, that every right. need she has during labor is answered, that the right person has the right gift to bring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of yeah. course, there's there's people like myself and Sarah who then delivered the baby and <laughs> right. all of the other stuff. Gotcha. Right. Exactly. So after I had been a doula for a little bit, I became a labor and delivery nurse. Um, the hospital that I worked with, they have two campuses. So I just switched campuses, which unions and stuff like that, it's hard to do because it was a totally separate union. And so I applied for over a year to be a labor and delivery nurse and I finally got a job. And so I started working as a labor and delivery nurse and people thought I was crazy because I had already had a home birth. And then I got pregnant with my fourth baby and I had another home birth while I was a labor and delivery nurse. And they, um, all my coworkers for the most part were, shocked. They were like, what, why would you have a home birth when you see some of the, you know, when you sometimes see bad outcomes that can happen with birth at the hospital. And so, but I would point out to them, like, 
you know, like maybe that wouldn't have happened at the hospital. Or I remember one crazy night, a nurse, um, I mean, an OB had like three deliveries happening at once and she was running from room to room. And one of the nurses was like, no, you have to change your gown. You can't, you know, and, and she just wasn't thinking because she was running and, and I was like, see, that won't happen at my home birth. I won't accidentally have someone showing up in a gown that like came from another room. Um, so, which maybe wasn't nice, but it, I don't know. I'm kind of a bold personality. So I was like, see, you guys think home birth is gross, but that's not going to happen at my home birth. <laughs> that is, yeah. I mean, that's a great point too, though, because there's so many things that you, you might not expect to happen even in the hospital that could go wrong too, I'm sure. Yeah. In some ways yeah. at home, you can control a certain level of it and then if there is an emergency, then you can go into the hospital, right? And Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the hospital that I worked with, the nurses were great in supporting um, the patients on many different le- levels, but it's really hard when you want to see change. So spinning babies was becoming more and more popular. I had already taken the course as a doula and I would do these different things and, you know, like putting a mom in a sideline position. We didn't have peanut balls, but um, we did get them eventually. But I would use the bedside table and prop their leg up on a bedside table with some pillows to to put them in a position to help baby rotate. and. Um, you know, the OBs, I remember one OB walking in the room and I'm at the computer charting. The mom's sleeping like that. She's comfortable with an epidural. And the OB was like, what's happening? Why is that woman in this position? And I'm like, well, I think our baby's OP and I'm just trying to turn it. And, you know, he was like, wow. And I didn't get in trouble, trouble. I explained to him what I was doing. He didn't like it because he was afraid if there was an emergency, he wouldn't be able to like, deliver the baby in that position or move the bed to the OR. And I was like, oh, no, it's just like this. See, I can undo it really quickly. So educating along the way. Um, But some of my coworkers were like, that's crazy. Why do you do that? Well, now, like eight years later, they've all taken spinning babies. And now they have peanut Mm -hmm. balls and yoga balls. And they They still use the side table. Yeah. 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 I still use the bedside table sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it just works really well. And I learned that from a labor and delivery nurse. So I had a, a situation hospital. like that once when I was still a labor and delivery nurse. I had the patient uh, sitting on the toilet facing the wall. Oh, yeah. Backwards, pushing. <laughs> and a Kaiser doctor walked in and it was like, oh, 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 oh what's happening? She was really funny. And she yeah. got mad with me because I was laughing. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But she had yeah. a lot of pushing to get to, and I wasn't going to let the baby go in the, oh, yeah. the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I um. So I had my fourth baby at home, and um, it was a good experience. She was a big baby for me, and so she had a little bit of a shoulder dystocia. Um it was quickly released by the midwife and the baby was fine. Um, it took a little while for her color to come around. She was breathing on her own and everything. So she did get a little supplemental oxygen for the first like 10 minutes. Um, 
and she did fine overall, but, um, you know, that was the only kind of like hiccup. And I loved, like she was born the early December. So I loved being home for the holidays and sitting in front of the tree and breastfeeding. And it was just so nice to be home. I really loved that. Um, and then I had pretty much decided like, okay, you know, now that I've had four babies and we're kind of done with our family, I'm now going to go to school to become a midwife. And, um, <laughs> two months into Frontier, I found out I was pregnant with an, oh our fifth baby. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I made baby scrapbooks for all the other kids. And I really, my mom never made my little sister's baby book. And so I was like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to get all four of them done. <laughs> then I'm going to apply for midwifery school. Well, my You're fifth awesome. baby is seven years old, and I still haven't made her scrapbook. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I keep, I always joke that I, I'm just going to take my frontier diploma and make 26 copies of it and put right. it in a book for her. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So for when I found out I was pregnant with her, I think, you know, a, a lot goes into your decision to have a home birth and mm -hmm. finances is a big deal. And we were trying yeah. to at least pay for some of my schooling out of pocket. And my husband was very stressed by having a fifth baby, which in my mind, like having a fifth baby really wasn't a big deal because we already had four. We already drive a minivan. You know, kids are already sharing rooms, but just mentally trying to, you know, do graduate school, yeah, you know, while you're impressive. having a fifth baby. That is yeah. I kind of got my degree sitting at Starbucks. There's a Starbucks not <laughs> far from our house. And I would go at 7 p.m. and I would stay till they closed at 10. I would drink a decaf latte <laughs> and I would type away my computer like four, five nights a week. That yeah. was just kind of my routine. We'd have family dinner and then I'd go do that. And um, my husband is great. He's a great support, but he gets overwhelmed. So the thought of all of it was overwhelming, but it worked out fine. And I, when I got to the master's portion um, of FNU, I like did it part-time. So I um, got my master's degree over two and a half years. And that was really, I think, smart to do, just pay my, pace myself. And she was like two and a half before I started doing my clinicals. And clinicals, as Sally knows, is crazy because, and I was still working as a, night, as a nurse yeah. in labor and delivery two nights a week. So yeah. When I did my clinicals, I gave away some of my shifts. Like anybody that wanted four yeah. hours, I was like, <laughs> yeah. just take, you know. Um, so I, but I plugged through and I got it done and got my boards done and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I loved home birth, but I didn't have IV at home. So after my fourth had that little complication at home, I just decided that home birth wasn't a great choice for me for my last baby. Were your babies um, getting bigger each time? Pretty much. Um, let's so see. So it's not necessarily a large baby that could cause that. It just Right. That's yeah. true. And I honestly feel like with that birth, um, with my fourth, 
I kind of had some warm up in the evening and the midwives came over and my mom came and then they knew me. They were like, we don't want to interrupt you. Why don't you go lay down upstairs? So my husband kind of tucked me in and it was like 10 o'clock. And within an hour, my labor, like all of a sudden picked up and I was laying down and the my husband came to check on me. They must have heard me downstairs. (laughs) And then my midwife came and she checked my cervix and I was two and 90 and the baby was high, but there was like a bulgy bag. But she was like, I could stretch you to like six, you know, because I'd had so many babies and that happens with your cervix. It just gets very stretchy. So cervix becomes super wise. It's a wise cervix. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So about two contractions after she checked me, my water broke. And then I had another contraction and I literally just felt her move through my pelvis. Yeah. And then the next contraction, like her head came out, but then the contraction was gone. And so I think because it was so fast, it was like she kind of came out in one full swoop. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even, I thought the baby was born because Mm. it just was so much pressure and everything was so fast. And Mm. then the midwives were like, no, 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 you need to push for her shoulders. And I was like, oh, the baby isn't out yet. (laughs) Um, So they moved me in a different position. And one of the midwives um, put her finger in and just helped deliver her posterior shoulder. And then she came. So it was just over a minute long. It wasn't that long, but it was enough. And after being in the hospital, I knew enough. And Mm -hmm. I, I was like, when I was pregnant with my fifth, I'm like, oh boy, now I have to decide where to give birth. And a lot went into it, but I ultimately decided to go with an OB who I worked with in the hospital, who was very, it was a male OB, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, but I felt like out yeah. of a lot of the OBs that I worked with, he really listened to women and he was very compassionate. I had seen him on multiple occasions, like hold mm-hmm. a woman's hand and explain what had happened, why maybe they needed a C-section or yeah. why they bled a little bit more after mm-hmm. delivery and like really explain it because I, I think a lot of times in the hospital, everything is just so when you work at a hospital, that's like a baby factory, you do the same thing every day. And you just expect that the patient knows what's happening, but you can't because it can be traumatizing for women. Um, So I went to him through my pregnancy and he, I would bring my two and a half year old with me who is just a bigger kid. She just is. She was nine ten when she was born, but she's always been on like That's the 90th big. to 100th percentile. Yeah. So when I was seeing my OB, he would look at her and say, I think you're going to have another big baby. Yeah. And I was like, really? I don't know. But I was so busy with school and disconnected, yeah. I think, a little from my pregnancy. I was like, whatever. And um, I like to say that she... Uh, she got so big on my Starbucks cappuccinos and <laughs> I definitely didn't exercise a whole lot my whole pregnancy because mm-hmm. I was busy doing graduate school work. I just yeah. didn't have the time. Um, so anyways, I, 
big brain. She was getting all the knowledge from the study. Oh, <laughs> thanks, yeah. Big brain. Yeah. I've stopped saying big head. I say big brain. Big brain. Yeah. 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 She was yeah. just yeah. intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So I had her in the hospital and it was interesting. I read a book from, I think it was written in the 90s, maybe even the 80s. It was written by a family practice doctor who I think was from California where some family practice doctors attended home births. So she had done like a regular medical residency, but had also followed around another family practice doctor and um, learned home birth. And she had had a couple home births herself. So she wrote a book that was called Home Birth in the Hospital. Mm. And um, oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was great. Someone mm. had recommended it to me. And it was helpful for me, for my mindset, like after having two home births, okay, I am going back to the hospital, but what do I need to empower myself to still have Mm -hmm. a natural birth, a low interventive birth, even though I have tucked in my mind, like I had one shoulder dystocia, I'm a little nervous about that happening again. Um, So more an emotional and spiritual kind of like preparing myself for it. So I hired my home birth midwife to be my doula. My mom and my husband were still there. Um, my mom actually, (laughs) she had kind of, she was like, you don't need me to be there. And she had, she had gone to work and I was like, no, I, I want you to come here. And she lives she lived an hour away. So I was like, nope. And my husband, I'm like, call her and tell her to come. I'm not going to have a baby till she gets here. And I didn't, I kind of had a slow birth and then she showed up. Um, and they had checked me and I was an anterior lip and they were, they said, Oh, well maybe you can push and we'll just hold it back. So I tried to push and she like didn't budge. Mm. And my doctor said, well do something different you've, I know you've walked and you've used the yoga ball and you're using positions, but he's like, why don't you get in the shower? Isn't that a home birthy thing to do? (laughs) And I was like, okay, fine. I'll get in the shower. So I was in the shower and my doula was outside helping me. And I was like in this really weird position. It's funny what your body does, but Mm -hmm. I was like on my tiptoes with my legs bent, Mm -hmm. holding onto the bar in the shower for like 45 minutes. And, um, I came out of the shower and I went on hands and knees and all of a sudden I felt pressure to push. And I was like, so grateful because it had been like an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. I was in the anterior lip. So I flipped over onto my back. Um, He had wanted me to at least, you know, start pushing on my back and probably ultimately deliver on my back. Um, so they could at least start that way if they needed to relieve a shoulder dystocia. Um, but we had talked about me maybe going back on hands and knees to help relieve it too, if needed. Um, so anyways, I started pushing and she, she started coming pretty quickly mm-hmm. and she didn't actually have her shoulders stuck, but he did some maneuvers as she came. Mm-hmm. He kind of corkscrewed her shoulders back and forth and, I, I remember him working, like even her body, scooting her body out. And she was really big. She was 11, eight. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Good woman. But she did great. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And my doula like held my leg. The nurse did have to do some super pubic pressure just to kind of help her shoulder Mm -hmm. come under my pubic bone. Um, And I remember watching my doula's face and she was just like, wow, wow. And when they put the baby on me, my whole chest was like, oh, because she was so heavy. (laughs) And we have a picture of me holding her up, like looking at her. And I'm like, where did you come from? (laughs) She was just such a big baby. But I really really felt empowered. Because I had the, a very natural, they'd only, mm-hmm. you know, monitored her on the monitor for, I think it was like an hour and a half out of eight hours or something. Yeah. So, you know, very minimal intervention and it all worked out. And it was like That's a home amazing. birth in the hospital. Yeah. 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 It wow. was. It was oh, really fantastic. great. I love That's that incredible. story. Yeah. Uh, but, but you had this instinct to deliver in the hospital. You yeah, really yeah. Just in case, and you exactly. were right because you know she could have been a shoulder, right? She could mm-hmm. have. She was so big. Oh, yeah. But yeah. wow, what a great story! And what a nice obstetrician. Yeah, yeah. sounds great. Yeah, I still talk to him, and so you know, being an out of hospital provider, when something comes up in someone's pregnancy, he is on my list of referrals. And that's great. Yeah. And he's great. We're not quite on a like, I have his personal cell phone, but I can call and, you know, ask Ask his secretary, I have a question for him. Can he just call me in the next couple days when he has a chance? And he always does. He's great. And I'm it's nice when you build those relationships. So what a wonderful background, Sarah, to lead you to your pathway now to, mm-hmm. the, to your, your home birthing. Um, so yeah, the ICU, that experience is fabulous. Um, and then the labor and delivery, and then mm-hmm. even the compassionate care of the really sick people who you know, our end stage care, all of that, I think, is like a beautiful mixture to make mm-hmm. you into a fabulous midwife. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, the cream on top of this cappuccino is <laughs> your, your amazing home birth stories and your hospital stories. You have a great yeah. wealth of experience. Tell yeah. me about the births now at home. Um, I noticed on your website that you use um, nitrous oxide at home we do we have it available That's it's great. kind of funny because um nitrous oxide was used all the time and i believe in europe it's been used yeah. all the way through but yeah. at one point hospitals in america got away with it and now it's kind of coming back into trend yeah 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 i don't know good. anything about about yeah. that for for births um, so, so it's so a mixture it's... of nitrous oxide and oxygen, 50% okay. of each. Mm-hmm. And it's like what the dentist would give you um, mm-hmm. when he's mm-hmm. trying to get you to feel no pain. But mm-hmm. it yeah. wears off really quickly. It wears gotcha. off, I think, what within seven minutes, it's all gone, something like that. And uh, it, it's like a big mask, usually, that they put over your face. And mm-hmm. it makes a certain kind of sound when you're inhaling it. And, and it's it's really helpful to the women to hear that sound that they're taking the deepest breath. So it's kind of like makes them breathe deeper. It gives them some pain relief. And it, it, the babies love it too, don't they? 
Yeah. Yeah. Your body metabolizes it before it gets to the baby, to the uterus. So it's really safe in labor. Um, I have yet to see a baby really affected by a mom using the nitrous oxide. Um, we do like moms to take a break. So the, the laboring person needs to every once, you know, like in between contractions, take a break and breathe real oxygenated air um, and then use it again during the contraction. So it's the type of thing that you use intermittently based on your contractions. Um, it's funny because a lot of the hospitals started getting nitrous, but the major hospital in our city didn't have nitrous. And when I was working there, I was like, you guys are behind the times. You need to get nitrous. And they all thought I was crazy, but they got it this spring. They just wow. got it. Oh, um, so it's the just another I delivered, thing. They almost were ready to start rolling it out. And then COVID hit oh, and yeah. they had to have policies that no extra aerosol types. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know that a couple hospitals put it away during COVID and weren't using it. Um, so we have it for home birth. It's really the only pain medication medication that we offer. So we like to say that we have birth tubs that, and that's like an aqua doula. It's like, you know, nice comfort, um, delivering in the birth tub. And that's our number one, um, I guess, used coping mm -hmm. technique that we have. Yeah. Um, so the nitrous oxide, I feel like we only really use it at like a quarter of our home births. Uh -huh. A lot of our clients know that we have it and they kind of have it in their back pocket. Like, well, if I absolutely yeah. need something for pain, at least there's an option yeah. mm -hmm. because we're the only home birth midwives in the area that have that option. So it's a great kind of tool that it, it's like a, they can land on that if wow. they really need it, but they, a lot of women don't actually need it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You so, would think we would use it all the time, but yeah. we really don't yeah. use it that much. And then when you have a patient, uh, do you have somebody else with you? Would you have a doula that works for yeah. you or works for the patient? Yeah. So what happens with, um, well, when someone comes into care with us, like if a mom calls and it's the beginning of her pregnancy, or even if she is halfway through her pregnancy and, and gets the idea she might want to learn about home birth, um, we usually, I set up a midwifery chat with them and um, it's kind of a way for them to interview us. Um, I hate that word because it sounds so stressful, but yeah. we're really kind of interviewing them yeah. as well. Right. So yeah. Um, we, it's a good way. I do it a lot over zoom. Some people want in person and I'll do that in there. Um, at our office, we have a set office that we see clients in, um, and I do some GYN and so I have a GYN table and, um, but during that, we'll talk a lot about their care. And as far as prenatal care, I can do, almost everything that an OB can do in their office. I can draw their labs. I can order ultrasounds. We have an independent radiologist in the area that does ultrasounds for me. Um, I do have a portable ultrasound, which is a wand that plugs into an iPad. So I can use that too for quick things like 
if someone's early pregnant and I can't quite hear the heartbeat with a Doppler, sometimes we'll pop on that ultrasound and just find the tiny little fetus with a heartbeat just to confirm. And it's kind of fun for them to get like a little glimpse of baby. Um, and then we use it in the third trimester to make sure babies are head down. So usually around 36 weeks, I'll do uh, very limited, just quick. I'm not an ultrasonographer, so it's just sort of nice. um, very informal. But right. um, if I have any concerns, then I can send them for a real ultrasound where we get measurements and everything. Um, and then... I work along or I have a student midwife working alongside of me. So she is about a year and a couple months into an apprenticeship with me. So she is a CPM student and she's going to a college. I'm just like her in-person um, teacher, I guess. So she does most of the prenatal care with me. She's at almost all of their visits. That's so and great. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She's been a doula for many years, both in the hospital and she's done a lot of postpartum doula work. Yeah. Um, so she's wonderful for supporting our our families even after birth, yeah. um, you know, doing visits, helping with breastfeeding. And she's like the breast pump guru because <laughs> I only use two different pumps for all five of my kids, but now there's so many more pumps and yes. People get new ones mm -hmm. and we'll come to a, like a postpartum visit and a mom is really engorged and we're trying to get the baby latched. And one of the mm -hmm. tips is pump a little bit and we teach them how to hand express. But my student, I'm like, here's the breast pump in the box and she'll open it up and clean it. And she knows how to put everything together. I don't know. I can't always figure it out as quickly <laughs> as she can. <laughs> and she's younger than me. So she helps me a lot with technology. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think anybody in their 20s, you know, their knowledge of technology is so much more than me. Yes. But you're, you're lucky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Or I'll struggle with something. I'll come home to my teenagers and be like, my phone's been doing something weird all day. I can't. I don't know why. And within a second, they like have it figured out. Um, so she is great. And I, you know, as she's starting to catch babies, so she has caught a handful of babies with me. Um, but at the beginning of letting her start to catch babies, I had a nurse that would come to birth with me because it just is, it's like a peace of mind for me yeah. that I can have someone chart while yeah. I have hands ready while right. she's catching a baby. Yeah. Um, so we're now out of that stage and where she's catching and I'm trying to chart and have a hand ready um, to help, but she's done a really good job. And Sally, as you know, the actual catching of the baby, there is a technique to it, yeah. but it's more the before and after that are even more important, right? right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell me, um, you have local anesthetic, you have suturing mm -hmm. materials if, if you need that. Um, yeah. So I like to kind of say that we have everything a birth center would have yeah. or a labor and delivery room would have. Yeah. Um, we just bring it in your home. And so yeah. 
I mean, I may not have 40 different sutures on me, but I have like five different kinds I can choose from. Yeah. Um, and we keep a stock at our office. So yeah. we just expanded our office to include a whole storage area. It's almost like a kitchenette where we can process labs and stuff too. Yeah. Um, but I do, the thing about being a midwife is, you do all the things. So I do all the ordering and the stocking and the organizing and the cleaning. Um, Sometimes I rope my family into helping me. Um, (laughs) I had one of my daughters, you know, making labels for everything for me. Great. Um, But I carry like a big EMT bag. That's like a backpack. Um, You open it up and it has pockets for various things. So I keep you know, baby cord clamps and a couple extra baby hats if the parents don't have one or I can't find it quick enough. Um, my baby stethoscope. I keep all my baby stuff in one little pouch and then I'll keep um, everything I need for delivery, like sterile gloves. Um, let's see, what else? Like little, um, jelly. You have like a little weighing scales. I do. So we use a fish scale yeah. and a fabric sling that we hang the baby in. Makes such a um, great pictures. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Mary everybody wants that. Mary Brickenage would be so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have a couple dopplers that I carry with me. I have instruments for suturing and for clamping and cutting the cord. Um, that we sterilize and then medication. So I now have, I have a little caddy that I carry all my IV fluids, my IV tubing, and it has a tray in it. So I have all my IVs and starter kits, extra tea, wow. syringes. Um, and then I have a, a, it's actually a little toolbox from Home Depot, but it opens up and I have Pitocin. So I carry Pitocin, which is a medicine that, um, it's a synthetic form of your body's own oxytocin. We don't use it for induction purposes at home. We don't do a medical induction at home, but we use it for hemorrhaging if a mom's bleeding or isn't delivering the placenta in a timely manner, then we'll give Pitocin. Um, so that's kind of my number one medicine that I I really carry with me. I do vitamin K. Um, for the newborn, we have it as an injection. Um, yes. Some people choose to do oral. But... Yeah. Sorry to distract you there, but um, okay. it, there's a lot of focus you have on the baby. Uh, you know, when I delivered the baby in the hospital, I might stay to make sure the latching uh, with some of the women if they ask me. Uh, but I don't really have to do anything. I don't have to weigh them or measure them. Uh, so, and I kind of miss the touching of the baby. Mm-hmm. And I don't even get to see the baby in the office afterwards. So that's, yeah. I really do miss that. And uh, I, I, I think it's wonderful that you do all of that. So mm-hmm. all of those skills are kept, you know, really good. Yeah, it was a bit of a learning curve because even when I did labor and delivery as a nurse in the hospital, we had a whole postpartum unit that was separate from us. So even the nurses were very separated. So after two hours, two to three hours postpartum, 
I never did baby baths or, um, I mean, every mm. once in a while, if labor and delivery was slow, yeah. we might go down to the nursery and offer help mm -hmm. um, if they were short staff. So every once in a while, I would do a PKU, which is a metabolic screening for the baby where you use drops of blood from their heel and you put it on a paper and then it goes to a lab to screen um, for metabolic, metabolic disorders. But now we do those at home. But some of those things, Sally, when I first became a home birth midwife, when even my first job as a midwife was at a birth center in New Hampshire, um, you know, they did all the baby care. So I kind of had to learn a yeah. lot of stuff. And uh -huh. the woman who owned the birth center was like, well, you're a nurse midwife. Don't you know? all this and I was like no I've never really taken yeah. care of newborn babies past a couple hours nice. so I had to learn those things but I do get a lot of joy out of it and it's so funny oh, yeah. we see moms postpartum in their moms. home oh, I, I know <laughs> we see them day one so the midwife and my student we typically will go back after the first 24 hours. So we do a cardiac screen for the baby, which is just, it's screening for congenital cardiac defects. So it's a pulse ox on the baby's right hand and then either of their feet. Um, and we're just making sure they correlate. Um, and if they don't, that can be a red flag for congenital heart defect. And it's a cheap, simple, easy test that as long as you have an infant um, pulse oximeter, you can do it. So we do that. And then my nurse goes on day three. So I have a nurse that works with our team. She's been a labor and delivery and a postpartum nurse at a small community hospital. Yeah. So she, she knows newborns really well. And she goes day three and she checks for jaundice. She does a full newborn and mom assessment and she is a lactation counselor as well. So she can help troubleshoot a lot of feeding issues. Yeah. Um, usually that's the day mom's milk comes in. So mm -hmm. sometimes she's helping them navigate through that. Um, and then I go back at week one and it's so funny because sometimes within a week, the babies already are more alert and awake. Yeah. And like you're saying, and their cheeks start to fill out a yes. little bit. I can yeah. usually tell when I walk in the door how feeding's going just based on the right. baby's cheeks. Yes. <laughs> That's cute. Oh, yeah. that's so adorable. Yeah, yeah. I, I miss that part, not seeing the babies. Um, yeah, and then they come to our office for their six week. My nurse goes again around mm -hmm. two to three weeks, and then I see them again at six weeks. It's so and, um, personal. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I love what you're describing. And you're uh, you're mentioning these people who are coming in and part of it, the, the doula, the... Mm -hmm. Lactation consultant, a postpartum doula. Yeah, it's a whole team. Yeah. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's like yeah. women gathering around women. But men are welcome to do this too. Please come and join us. It's <laughs> yeah. lifting us all up. And I've met this. a couple. I've mm -hmm. met a couple dads that I've been like, yeah. you should be a doula. <laughs> You're really good at oh, this. I have because they yeah. enjoy it too. Oh, They're like, nice. okay, now I'll do this and I'll do that. Like some so some good. partners yeah. are really excited about it and yes. get into it. That's yeah. amazing. I'm yeah, curious. They don't think of themselves as uh, big softy by doing this. They they're mm -hmm. loving gentlemen. Oh. These are the real gentlemen, <laughs> I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Sorry, bitch. No, you're good. I I totally agree. But I was I was gonna say I'm still curious about like the preparation, like you know when someone first comes to you and they're thinking about doing a home birth. Do you visit their home like well in advance and help them run through like how to set up for it and you know where yeah. would be a good space for <laughs> yeah everything? So- yeah. Like in their interview, sometimes I'll ask them, you know, where do you live? Do you have roommates? Like Mm. we have occasions where we have a really young mom who might have a group of of roommates and they need to prepare their roommates maybe to live somewhere else for a couple of weeks or, um, you know, they may not want that person in their space. So we do talk about it in the interview mm-hmm. and some people call and they say, well, my house is too small for a home birth. And I'm, and I say, well, how small is your house? You don't need a lot of space necessarily, you know, just a good clean space and running water and electricity. Cause you'd be surprised some people, <laughs> you know, may not have those things. So, um, we talk about it a little bit. And then when they come into care, we see them the same schedule. They would see a hospital-based provider. So about once a month until their first trimester or third trimester starts, which is around 28 weeks. And then we start seeing them every two weeks, um, which is traditionally how often um, pregnant people are seen. And then at 36 weeks, we do a prenatal at their house and we call it the home visit. So, Usually it's the student and I, sometimes my nurse will come, sometimes the second midwife will come. Um, and we, I have paperwork that I'll go through. The first thing we talk about is a transport plan. Um, if they needed to go to the hospital, what hospital they would go to. And that has like their name, date of birth, allergies, medications they're taking, their address, um, phone number for childcare if they have older children, who would drive if it wasn't an urgent transport. Um, and so we we have all those things listed and we hang it on the fridge. So we give them a, a little magnet with our logo on it and ask them to keep it on the fridge until the baby um, is born. And then we also go through um, supplies. So we ask them to get a list of supplies. It's pretty much everything you could buy at Target, Walmart, Amazon. Um, You know, they need to have pads, um, like maxi pads. Depends underwear is really helpful to have. Um, Witch hazels. So at the home visit, we'll make, um, we call them padsicles. But a pad, we drizzle some witch hazel on it and put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the freezer. So that's a nice little ice pack for their perineum for after birth. So we'll make a set of those. Um, we want them to have receiving blankets. And Sally will probably relate to this. We like the nice flannel receiving blankets, like similar to what they have to the hospital. The really gauzy ones that a lot of people use now for their babies are great because they're not too warm and stuff, but they're not great for absorbing all the yeah. the water from baby. Right. Yeah. So we tell them, you know, ask a neighbor or someone who has older kids if they have any around, <laughs> um, but you can get them on Amazon or whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, they need to have like a big stack of towels available, washcloths, um so that's great they they have all of that ready for you so you don't have to carry all of that stuff yeah yeah 
We I, bring I them. I tell you, I'm spoiled in the hospital. I know. I say hot water and towels, and I get it like a lot of the little wash towels, and I just I go know. through them. Yeah. Sometimes and, and I think about that. Underneath their bottom, you know, the chucks. Oh, yeah. So we have yeah, them. We use a lot. Use yeah, a lot. we have them by. Um, I think our our sheet says forty of them. Yeah. Um, and you can get them from Amazon. Yeah. And we even on our list we have links so they can just oh, good, um, yeah. click and kind of order the right size because you want to make sure they're big enough. Some of the little ones are like like tiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I keep some extra supplies in my car too. So I keep like a Ziploc bag with like five um, receiving blankets and I keep a package of Chuck's pads that uh -huh. were leftovers from someone's birth and they gave them right. to me and I just keep them in my car just in case something goes missing, um, you know, but you really don't need a whole lot. We have them provide a couple trash bags. Usually the cleanup after birth, it's one bag of trash and one yeah. bag of laundry. Mm -hmm. um, we ask for hydrogen peroxide because that gets blood out of laundry mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, and we'll do the laundry. We at least get it started. So we'll yeah. put the first load in. Um, and usually that's all it is, is one load of laundry. It's The cleanup's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. We also have birth tubs. So part yeah. of their... Um, the services we provide is lending them a birth tub. So at the home visit, we'll bring that to their home and explain to them how to set it up. Um, usually it's a partner's job because while she starts contracting, um, it's good. It gives them something to do. Gives right. Them a good exactly. Job. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes with an air pump to pump it out. And then we have portable sump pumps in all of our kits. Um, so we ask for like their garden hose. We provide a clean hose and the adapter to hook it up to a shower. Yeah. Um, we just ask for a dirty hose and we'll, we'll pump it out. Um, typically just down the toilet. Yeah. It'll just right. continuously yeah. flow down the toilet. How do you clean your tub after so, that? The tub also has a liner. So oh, the yeah. liner is specific for that mom. We, you don't yeah. need the liner, but it mm -hmm. makes cleanup for us a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So usually everything that's gross and yucky is contained in that. And then we typically will wipe it down if they have bleach, which yeah. most of our families, we ask for them to have bleach. We'll just uh -huh. use like a water bleach solution, wipe it down, yeah. have it dry, and then we'll we'll roll it up. Sometimes people have a lot of pet hair in their house. And yeah. so I will clean it again when I get home just yeah. to like, you know, make it nice and clean for the next yeah. person. Same with our pumps. We'll typically run bleach water through it afterwards. Yeah. Um, nice. But it usually needs to be cleaned again yeah. at home. So I usually will run run that through um a second time just to ensure but the tub liner really helps right do you ever, how many oh sorry Bridget. you're good Go i was just gonna say do you ever like meet women who want to do a home birth but aren't a good candidate for it yeah so i mentioned that before like mm -hmm. when we do the midwifery chat it's them um, interviewing, you know, you. interviewing yeah, me, but exactly. I'm also interviewing them. So yeah. if they've had a baby in the past, we'll talk about their past 
labor and birth um, experience, any complications that they've had, and then their general health. So um, if they're comfortable answering, sometimes, you know, I'll just say, are you healthy in general? What medications do you take every day? Because if someone's on like a blood pressure medication, then they wouldn't be a good candidate for a home birth. Um, if someone has had a complication in the past, it, you know, we'll talk more about that complication to see if they're a good candidate. Um, there's not a whole lot that completely negates you from a home birth, um, but there are a couple things. It's a short list. Um, yeah, kind of the same kind of list that would negate a, a VBAC as well. Mm -hmm. Diabetes, high blood pressure, high BMI. Yeah. I, I think that puts her into a high risk or, or any little dangerous thing. Yeah. But um, you're very wise, Sarah, because you had your own babies and you had the little period of few seconds with the shoulder dystocia and then you decided to have a hospital birth with that kind of wisdom women must feel very safe asking yeah. you am I a safe candidate yeah when I first started being a home birth provider I was almost like embarrassed to share that story and um, the midwife I was working with at the time was like you shouldn't be embarrassed because I oh, think no. it's helpful for women to see that you know, it isn't home birth at all cost. It isn't um, the only way that you can have the type of birth that you want or the only place that you can have the type of birth that you want. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm, I boldly share it. I'm not afraid to share it. And I, yeah. I do think that it's good. It's good for everybody to learn that that's what makes home birth safe mm -hmm. is if we are being smart about who we're yeah. offering it to yeah. and we have good relationships with the hospitals around yeah. us. Mm. Yeah. And um, in defense of us hospital midwives, a lot of women say, I don't want to go to the hospital because of all the interventions that mm -hmm. they will do. Sometimes those interventions start with the mother herself asking for pain medication. Yeah. And that's the first intervention that can lead to a cascade of stuff. Mm. Um, it, yeah. And it also starts sometimes by women like asking for an induction just because they're mm -hmm. at their due date or, yeah. or just mm -hmm. after their due date and they assume there's something yeah. wrong with that. Um, yeah. You know, that's a huge... I even see that in the home birth worlds where someone's approaching their due date and they start getting worried because yeah. they've heard this friend and that friend were induced because they got to 40 weeks and nothing was happening. Yeah. Not based on anything medical, but just yeah. based on dates, which um, I, I don't believe is always necessary, you know? Yeah. We don't induce anyone before 41 weeks unless they have a medical reason. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't say the same about the hospitals around mm -hmm. here. They they will sometimes offer elective inductions at 39 weeks yeah. just because right. they can. Sari, come and work in California with me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I worked at the family practice I was at, we were we held to those standards a lot more because yeah. the doctor who owned the practice um, was an advocate for lower interventive birth. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm really waiting for your body to go into labor. And so mm-hmm. we often didn't induce anyone until after 41 weeks. So right. that's great. Yeah. yeah. And one more question, Sarah, how many mm-hmm. deliveries would you do say in a week or in two weeks? Um, so we take about six clients a month. Um, our numbers this fall are a little slower than that, um, which isn't a bad thing. Um, it's nice when I have some time to focus on the business part of things and ordering and um, I'm training a new admin um, in the next week. So that is exciting and um, it gives me time. So anywhere from three to six people a month is about where we uh-huh. where we yeah. lie. Right. Um, for me, in comparison, uh, maybe in a month I might do 10 deliveries. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, a few C-section assists mm-hmm. around that. Sometimes it's less, sometimes more. Um, but I don't have all of that other stuff to do that you have to do. <laughs> so yeah. that is really impressive to yeah. to have all of that to, all to of manage. It. And yeah. it sounds so organized mm-hmm. and like well-prepared yeah. for each woman. Um, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, the midwife that I like learned to do home birth with, or that there were two of them, they had a lot of the systems like set up and in place. Um, and so I really am grateful that, you know, for the training that I have, yeah. that I've been able to kind of absorb and working at the birth center was also helpful in that. Yeah. And then even doing family practice, I, you know, everywhere you go, you pick up little bits of like, Oh, well, that's a good idea to do this. And that. Yeah. Right. Well, you're very yeah. brave. I don't know if you've ever heard our other podcast on this subject. Um, I think maybe you called it what Bridget, the courage of a midwife. Yeah, something yeah. along the lines of that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I listened to that one. I, I did listen to one where, Sally, you had said, when I think of home birth, I think of bravery, both for yeah. the midwives and the clients. Right, really. Yeah. 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 Um, I was just thinking that, that same aspect. Yeah, I think it does feel like a brave Thing to be able to offer midwifery, you know, at home for, for moms. But in some ways, I really feel like, I mean, our ancestors were born at home. Home birth is not a new thing at all. And so I feel I like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, I didn't know this until I had my first home birth that my dad's mom, he's the baby of the family and by quite a bit. Um, but his mom had three kids kind of close in age. And then he was born like 13 years younger than his next oldest siblings. But he was born in the hospital in the early 50s. But his mom had three home births. I didn't know that until uh-huh. I had a home birth. Yeah. And he was like, well, your grandmother had three home births. Like it was no big deal. And I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but I like to think instead of like, it's not so much that I'm stepping out into new territory. I'm kind of stepping back into the roots of, yeah. of what, mm-hmm. you know, ob- obstetrical care sh- like used to look like and used to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think with COVID, like that's part of the reason why I stepped out of the family practice and doing um, 
hospital deliveries is I was given an opportunity where a group of midwives were looking to add a midwife um, to do home birth with them because it became more more popular in the pandemic. Um, I think in the pandemic, a lot of people started considering home birth that maybe normally wouldn't, like Mm -hmm. they didn't fall in, I hate to use stereotypes, but they weren't people that were already into alternative like medicine and complementary care. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the pandemic pushed them into that category a little bit more. Yeah. And stepping into a hospital where there were limited visitors, they would have to wear a mask while they were pushing. Um, And we we do take COVID pretty seriously in our group. We mask in our office and we ask people to wear um, masks when we come do the home visit in their home. And we wear a mask and at their birth, we wear our masks. So we still, you know, are, are trying to hold yes. to the standards of right. whatever's required right. based yeah. on community level. But mm-hmm. I just think that it, in some ways people are going, and I think the trend is people are going to start using alternative medicine in all aspects of their care. Yeah. I've had a few um, home birth midwives trying to coax me, saying, come on, work with us, work with us. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, sometimes I am a little tempted, you know, but then I'm lucky where I am in California. We, we already do the home birth in the hospital. It's something that we, yeah. we're, we open it up to whatever they want. We love when they have the birth plan. Yeah, we love when they want to, you know, get in the tub and yeah. And I'm lucky with the doctor that I work with. He's like, yes, do all of the natural stuff you want. Yeah. And then if you need me, I'm here. You know, yeah. I wish that the, that there was more of a climate for that yeah. here. Yeah. Um, when I was in midwifery school, some of my colleagues were like, well, there's no midwives that work at this hospital, mm-hmm. you know if you did work here, what would you do? And I remember saying, well, you know where the nursery is down there? I would make the nursery a labor lounge. And then the two big rooms there, I'd put a labor tub and I would do this and do that. And I'm like, and that would be like my birth center. And they were like, yes, great. Be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. It would be awesome. And that's based on the idea of that is really my friend delivered at a hospital in San Diego that had that they had a separate birth center that was staffed by midwives they did intermittent monitoring they delivered in real beds um and when she told me all about it I was just like amazed and I I don't know that we'll ever see that on the east coast but maybe someday but you know Sarah we had Dr. Houston here Mm-hmm. Um, on our podcast, uh, Dr. Jane Houston, and she she was saying that wherever she goes, she goes to visit a birth center or a hospital mm-hmm. unit or whatever. And yeah. um, I I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, uh, and we bring all of the jewels back with us, and you know wherever we are, let's do our part to make it better for women, whether mm-hmm. it's home birth or hospital birth. But yeah, they're the birth center, right? Themselves, the woman herself. Right. We just have to keep her safe. That's yeah, I think 
like in Massachusetts, we have one freestanding bar center that is midwifery owned now. It's yeah. only about two years old, I think, maybe just over a year. Yeah. And they're busting at the seams and people are driving wow. over an hour to go to them. Wow. Um, and would, then there's two would it birth be centers. easier for you, Sarah, if you had a birth center? Would that be easier? Um, I think, well, in some ways it would be easier because they wouldn't have to drive around as much. Um, I, I definitely can see having a birth center in the future. It's very hard to get it up and running. The laws in Massachusetts are not easy. I'm, I'm sure other states are like that too. Um, it took those midwives like many years and like a couple million dollars, I think. Wow. You know, yeah. so it's go to it's the hospital, Sarah. See if, if that idea of yours could <laughs> make it happen. I don't know. I mean, that hospital. So it's I still transfer if I have a transfer in the area. Mm-hmm. It's usually the hospital that I go to because I still have relationships with the doctors there, yeah. and. um like I had mentioned before, I feel like that's what makes home birth safe is when a midwife feels confident enough to walk in with a client and say, you know, this is what happened at home. This is what we need here. And, um, I actually just did a CEU that was, um, all about transporting and making seamless transports. And I Mm -hmm. actually do have a, um, a, meeting set up with the doctor that is now managing that labor and delivery floor and the nurse manager and the assistant nurse manager to talk about transport to the hospital. So yeah, it's a great opportunity just to build respect on both sides, you know, Um, and who knows what will come of that. Yes. Your kitten is looking at you. I know. He's so cute. I'm trying to not look at him because he's he's been trying to get my attention the last couple minutes in front of me. That's funny. Oh, yeah, this is this is my well, baby. This right has here. been so interesting. Oh, oh hi, Kitty Koo. Hello. Thank baby. you, Sarah, so much. I've um, mm-hmm. I've seen it now in a different light. I'm a bit of a coward when it comes to the thought of home birth. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, listening to your wisdom and stuff, it, it sounds like, you know, you would be the one I would go to. We're, <laughs> we're going to link your uh, website to the end yeah. of this podcast, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah you can totally link my website. Um, I think that, you know, in many ways, what I do in at home it's just extra support for mom, you know, on that emotional, spiritual level and, and really providing informed consent and all the, the basic steps in an emergency that they do in the hospital, we do at home. So that's how I present it. Mm -hmm. If a red flag arrives, we act on it. And if we have to transfer to the hospital, then we do for the further steps, but the Mm -hmm. initial ones I can at least start. And that, that feels good. It's like, I feel like I, I have tools available to me. So, yeah. but yeah, it's been great talking to you and thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And if any of you guys that are listening have gotten this far through the episode, we really appreciate you guys as well. Please don't forget to hit the like and subscribe buttons and we'll see you in the next one.
Thank you. Thanks a million. Thank and you. Sarah, thanks for your bleeding truth. <laughs> Thank you. So thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. And um, if you like what we're doing, give us a bit of a review on Apple. That would help us so much. And um, if you come across a subscribe button, press the subscribe button. It doesn't cost you anything. 